Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 134 with Alan Jordan. Alan's the lead physical performance coach at Game Changer. He came on to talk about what his role entails with Game Changer. He spoke about how their approach to rehab differs to clubs. He spoke about some of the common injuries that he's dealing with and that they're dealing with at the moment um, due to the the fixtures and the, the sort of congestion this season. He spoke about the main causes of some of the injuries that he's dealing with as well. And then he spoke about some of the um, aspects of players getting re-injured as well and some of the things we could potentially do a little bit better in the return to play process too. So I hope you enjoy this one. Um, obviously, Alan isn't directly linked with a club, but he's working with a number of different players um, across sort of the football spectrum. And it was great to catch up with him and delve into some of the work that they're doing at Game Changer. Um, so I hope you enjoy the chat with him. I just wanted to give you a couple of quick updates. First of all, just to say a big thank you to everybody that's purchased our Prepare to Play ebook. And I just wanted to give a shout out to previous guests on the podcast, Jordan Tyra. Um, we teamed up together to create this ebook, a six week program directed at anyone really that's had any time out of the game. Um, whether it's to do with COVID or football not being on at certain levels. So we wanted to try and create a program that was going to put people on the right path to getting their football fitness back. So whether it's going into a pre-season period or maybe it's getting back into five-a-side, seven-a-side, something like that. Um, This program is great for anyone from sort of amateur up to semi-professional level that's had any sort of time out of the game. So you can go and check out the ebook. Just go to footballfitfed.com, click on the shop tab at the top and just search for the prepare to play ebook. Uh, throughout the six-week program, all the drills come with video tutorials as well. So it's really easy to follow. And then also, just before we get into the episode, I just wanted to say that um, I wanted to try and get a few more reviews on the podcast as well. So what we're going to do is for the next 10 people that head over to iTunes and leave us a review, we're going to give a free ebook out. So um, once you've done your review, just screenshot it and email it to mail at footballfitfed.com and just title the email review and I'll reply to that email with a copy of one of our ebooks. Um, so drop onto the, the review, possibly the, the guests that you've taken the most from or one of the topics that we've covered that you've enjoyed the most. Just give us a little bit of feedback on the podcast as well. But for the next 10 reviews, we'll give out some free ebooks. So I really appreciate if you've not done it already, head over to iTunes and leave us a quick review. Right, we got through all that. So let's dive into the podcast with Alan Jordan. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 134. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, Alan Jordan, lead physical performance coach at Game Changer. Alan, how are you doing? Yeah, very good, thanks. How about yourself? All good, thank you, mate. All good. It's great to have you on the podcast. Um, I've seen you putting out loads of quality information recently and some of the work that you guys are doing with players as well. So it'd be great to tap into some of that. And I know we had a bit of a conversation about some of the work you guys do. So, and I think the viewers and listeners will find it quite interesting. So 
We'll get into that in a little bit, but let's start with yourself, mate. Do you want to just take us through your journey so far, where you've been, clubs you've been at, roles you've been in? Yeah, pretty standard S&C road, to be honest. So um, done my undergrad at John Moore's in science and football. And then you would have heard from Jack a few weeks ago, Jack Dallin. So I was on the same year, Jack. So third year placements. Um, there's a few options that you can take. And John Moore's are really good in terms of offering placements. And then Everton Ladies was one of the options. And it was the first year they've ever done anything with the women's. Um and then for me, I just fit, I just thought long term. So I thought, you know, what would job opportunities be like post placement? I knew I know a lot of the clubs are just turn turn over students year by year. And given it was the first year, I've seen it as a good opportunity to get in there and hopefully make my mark and make a good impression beyond that. Um and unfortunately it worked out quite well. So I got kept on beyond my placements um on voluntary basis. And then the next year I also undertook my MSc. Strength Conditioning at Salford. So combining the two together um, throughout my MSc, and that was 2000, end of 2013-14. Um, and then, yeah, just progressed from there, really. The guy who worked closely with Everton Day Flower, he obviously moved over to the men's side, so there was a gap to fill on the on the women's side. Um, wrong person, right time, most likely. But it was one of those situations where I stepped into the role and um, wasn't ready for it, probably not. Um, but it was a good, a good, a really good learning experience. Um, and then from there, I was at Everton up until January 2016 or somewhere around there. Um, and then, yeah, from there, moved on to Liverpool Women's First Team and worked closely with the first with first team there. Um, was there for three and a bit, three and a half, three or four years. So, yeah. And I've been a game changer since the beginning of 2019 now. So, yeah, just a year and a half. Um, and again, just progressed through the roles there. Um, the guy who was initially Leeds left to go to Loughborough Uni, um, Adam Burton. So I stepped into his role as lead performance coach um, just before Christmas. And, yeah, that's the route, really. Yeah, It's a pretty standard S&C road that you find from most people, um, going from voluntary to, to wherever they can get and then just building on from there. Um from my side of things, I was probably a bit of a late starter. So I actually didn't start uni until I was 21. Um, and that was mainly just because I didn't really want to go to uni post um, primary and secondary school, etc. Um, I always wanted to be involved in football. Initially, I wanted to be a football coach. So I started taking my badges, coaching that way, coaching in America, etc. Um, and then, yeah, I was a bit of a crossroads at Everton so I was still voluntary based but then I had an offer to go and coach on the west coast in America for 10 months so it was for me it was a decision to either stay on voluntary at Everton and again it was a big gamble whether to get any work out of that or go and live in America for 10 months and for some reason I decided to stay in England um but it's worked out quite well to be honest so yeah that decision has like stuck with me ever since and it was a, it was a gamble I paid off yeah no, I think it's really interesting. And obviously, we're going to go into your role, your current role, um, quite a bit in this episode. But I think it's quite good to take you back because when you were talking about looking for like that first opportunity within S&C in football, and you, I think you mentioned about like thinking longer term, thinking about job yeah. opportunities. I think that's really good to tap into because I think we'll have a, quite a few listeners that might even be at that stage now or even before yeah. the stage in terms of, going through university. So what was your thinking back then with that in terms of job opportunities? Because we all know 
it's super, super saturated now. The jobs, yeah. there's not loads of jobs out there. But what was your sort of mindset in terms of where you were looking, where were you focusing? So, again, being a local lad, I knew that Everton were really good within the community and really good with local coaches, etc. So, from from my own experience, I thought that would be a really good route to take. And again, um, I'm a Liverpool fan, so it killed me a little bit going going into the Everton <laughs> environment. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a, again. It was as I said, it was a gamble. Yeah, it was a big gamble, but I just seen it as not a not an easier route, but maybe a more accessible route into an SNC role beyond um, the voluntary process, beyond the uh, placement with uni. As I said, yeah, most of the roles that were already in place were at clubs where three or four students are going year upon year and there'd be no um, there'd be no students that'd be kept on beyond the placement. It'd just be a case of get them in for six months, turn them over, next year come in, um, repeat. But with the Everton role, with it being a new role, it would have been a women's football, which I knew nothing about at the time. Um, I just thought it was maybe, yeah, maybe a new opportunity that I could, yeah, start my mark and make a good impression in. Yeah. And at the time, I don't feel like this, the SNC roles within women's football at the time were, were saturated because not many people knew about women's football. Not many people wanted to work in women's football, if we're being brutally honest. And this is going back six, seven years ago. When and again at the time Everton were part time, so their first team were, were part time training two, three nights a week. Yeah, no, I think it's just an important discussion to have because um, people in that situation might all be attracted to similar sort of roles and clubs. Yeah, and I think it's it's good, isn't it, to sort of widen your your um, view on the game and yeah. fi- and think about longer term as well. And if it is a case of going into a club and knowing that that you're going to go and do. Um, voluntary work or an internship of some sort and then move on at least people know that and then they yeah. can sort of plan for the future but I like the fact that you're talking about yeah I was going in looking at the long term at that club thinking that there's a bit yeah. of a pathway in place yeah so no definitely yeah as I say it's like the, the guy at the time Dave Flower was really good to me um, I think it was just him so it was just him for SNC throughout the whole club Um with obviously the three students that were coming and bon, uh, volunteer at the, which at the time was a regional, a centre of excellence, um, which is the women's academy from like nines to 16s, or no, at the time it was nine to 17, sorry. Um, so that was our main focus and main role was to go and deliver uh, strength conditioning um, to to those age groups from nines to 17s. And I'd say wow. just built on from there, just, just, just by just from work ethic and you know turning up and putting in the work and you know being being visible of uh, what's this? like just putting in a, putting in the work ethic and, and going beyond what what's required of you really in that role as a volunteer and you know as 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 we know with most students or a lot of students um, they'll just use it as a tick box and just go in for the placement and. I've done my hours off a go, but for me, I, I always knew I wanted to be involved in football. So it was a case of making a really good impression and almost using that that placement as a as a job interview. Yeah, um, and just have that frame of mind really. And yeah, as I say, it, fortunately, it, it paid off. Yeah, no, I think that's really important yeah. and really really good advice to anyone in that same uh, stage of their career as well. Um, we'll move into your current role, mate. So we, we mentioned it, lead physical performance coach at Game Changer. Do you want to give us a little bit of a breakdown in terms of what your job entails? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, very different from club setting, obviously working in the private sector. Um, 
primarily Game Changer are a partner of the PFA, so the Professional Footballers Association. Um, and alongside players' memberships, they have access to the rehab scheme at St. George's Park. Um, so the PFA will fund a certain amount of places per year for professional footballers who are injured. So the only way you can come into the rehab scheme is obviously if you're injured. Um, so my role as a lead physical performance coach, um, I've got a bit of a dual role. So alongside leading the PPC side of things, it's also a case of taking care of all the operations. So as we spoke off, off the podcast is my job involves a lot of admin, a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls, just directing and, and liaising with clubs and players and getting them booked in. But in terms of the PPC side of things, um, it's a case of running a, a profile on battery that will determine where the players are in the stage of rehab. Um, and then from there, between me and my other assistant PPC, Callum, um, it'll be a case of designing programmes based off what we find from the profiling. Um, and again, it's not solely based off the profiling. We'll get a lot of information sent across from clubs. So it'll be a case of trying to merge the two together um, to try and get the most out of the four days that they spend with us. Um, so it's a bit of a mix. So we spend a lot of time in the gym, but then we also spend a lot of time out on the pitch as well. Um, so it's a case of trying to get the most out of those four days that they spend with us. Um, and that's the basis of it, really. That's the base of the, the physical performance uh, role itself in terms of other aspects of it. Um, we're starting to delve into like remote coaching, et cetera. And just, again, with with recent um, scenarios with, around COVID, et cetera, um, we find a big gap in the markets of, you know, just remote coaching and, and trying to push that side of things as well. But from, I say from my day-to-day duties, it's, it's solely focusing on the PFA, St. George's Park. And are the players always coming on a, you mentioned about coming in for four days. Is it always just a four-day sort of window that they're with you? Yeah, so... We only, yeah, so we basically operate from Monday to Thursday. Um, so it'll only be a four-day rehab um, week with ourselves. Um, but they have access to three weeks per year. Okay. So um, across the year, they have access to free visits with us. And again, it's entirely up to them or the club or even if discussions between ourselves of when's best to use their three weeks. So if it's a short-term injury and you're looking to come back a little bit quicker, then you might use two or three weeks at, um, on a run. Again, if it's a longer term, for example, an ACL, then we'll probably get them in at four, seven and nine months. Um, so again, we can just test them each stage and then just hopefully send them back to the club with some more information on, on how to progress and et cetera. So um, yeah, that's again, that's probably the, the chunk of what we do on a Monday to Thursday. And are the players staying at St. George's Park as well across those four days? Yes, again, it's everything's catered for. So accommodations paid for, um, food is paid for. So it's such a good, it's such a good scheme, and not enough players or even physios, SNC, uh, SNC staff, and clubs know about it. Yeah, you know the PFA get a lot of bad press, but this is certainly one thing that, that they they're really good at, and they, they do really look after the players that that are injured and out of contract or or at clubs. And I said we get players from completely different levels so you might get a premiership footballer coming in and then next week you might get a retired footballer who hasn't played the game for 15 years coming in with a new hip right so yeah very broad spectrum in terms of what we get Um, I would say the majority of players that we do get in are all actively playing um, or at clubs but given the recent circumstances with COVID 
there's been a high number of players who've been released due to injury or have been released and then went and got injured not not long after and stuck with no club and no guidance. So, um, yeah, it's a very mixed bag of plays that we get week on week. We mentioned as well, but I think before we started recording that this season or this year has been pretty busy for yourself as well. I should laugh because it's not funny, but um, there's there's a lot of injuries going on. We know the the crazy schedules that clubs are having to deal with. um, What are some of the common injuries that you're seeing? Um, I would say this year, especially, we're getting so many hamstrings coming through week after week. so the common one is obviously ACLs. We get again, there isn't a week that goes by where we don't use the IKD machine um and have someone with an ACL running um a test on the IKD. But this season has definitely been a spike in hamstring injuries. We can't go a week without at least, I'd say, two or three hamstrings coming in. Um and again, as we've spoken about off air, it's just a case of I wouldn't envy working at a club, as I've already said. Um, and it'll just be down to the pressures and and um, and the environment that 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 we're working in at the minute at a club, you know, we're getting a lot of players further down the leagues who haven't got access to gyms, for example. Um, so they've got no access to to actually improving the strength. They're going back to train. Um, it's a pretty common story where players are coming in and they're just weak. They're just generally weak. Um, it's a it's a very common message that we're feeding back to players every single week is that they're just weak. Um. And it's not down to them, it's just it's just down to not having the facilities to be able to go and improve the strength. Um so that's it. Again, they're probably the two most common ones, yeah, definitely. Um and again, as we know, it's no no two injuries the same. We might get a hamstring in one week, that same sort of criteria that they've been um graded at. Next week a similar player will come in and be completely different. So um, there's definitely no one magic pill to, to cure a hamstring, as we found out this year. I think when we speak to, our, if you spoke to one of our physios, it's like, they think they've cracked it one week and then next week another hamstring will come in and another after the drawing board trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. Um, which is difficult. Again, like we're, we're in a privileged position in terms of the facilities and the equipment we've got to assess all of these injuries that are coming in, but we've only got a four-day window, um, yeah. Yeah. which is really tough. Um, and that's probably the biggest difference, obviously, from club to, to working with ourselves is that Monday is so important just to try and get a clear picture of where where the players are. And that will form a big part of what we do with them throughout the week, um, obviously, alongside conversations with the club as well. Yeah, because we talk a lot on here about being... Um sort of productive and making the most out of your time and you guys are going to have to do that more than ever aren't you in, in a four-day window um just to make sure that you, you're covering everything and in terms of that as well when when you're doing the four-day block are they going away with anything is there any sort of aftercare or is it a case of just feeding back to the club and saying this is what they've done this is what we recommend going forward and then sort of passing them back over yeah, so again, everything they do with us, so obviously all of, all of the testing data, all the tests that they do, they'll get all, they'll give, get given all the data from that um, alongside, you know, summary and recommendations from ourselves um, and then all of the programming that we do with the players. So that'll be all the pitch, all the, sorry, all the gym work that they do prior to the pitch, all of the gym work that they do post-pitch and then obviously all of the pitch work, so all of the conditioning work gets put in a, a nice Excel templates and get sent across to the player at the end of the week so then i say we're, we're completely transparent in terms of what we do so all gps information all heart rate data whether that's outdoor indoor 
could get sent over to the to the player or club at the end of the week. So, and again, it's been really useful for players that are out of contract at the minute because they they have got a plan to follow when they leave us. So they, it's just a case of almost continuing what they're doing with us, but just increasing the frequency of what they do. And when you're when you're planning these programs as well, have you got in mind their individual situations? So say say you're working with a player at a club that doesn't have access to a gym, um, you're sending them away with a program, or, or you're doing things within your facility that obviously has got a lot of kit, a lot of yeah. great equipment. Are you have you got that in the back of your mind that you you plan that way, or is it just a case of right four days to make it as effective as possible? I I would say it's in the forefront of our minds when we program. Um, I would think it's a primary thought of what the player's got access to first. Because as I say, it's, put, it's putting us as programming something that the player's unable to do beyond the four days with us. Yeah. Um, if we do plan something that they're maybe unable to do and you know it's something that we think is beneficial for them, then we'll give them an alternative to go away and do that will you know have the same benefits. So again, it's all about yeah, picking the brains of the player to see what they've got access to. Um and then planning from there because you don't want to waste your time planning, having a really good week, and then I'm going away and not being able to continue what they're doing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would say it's a primary thought to be honest. Um, it's just understanding what the players have access to and and, and planning from there really. And I don't know you might have already touched on it a little bit, but in terms of the cause of some of these injuries, and again, I know it's really hard to be um, definitive on where these injuries are coming from, but. How would you summarise it as a whole in terms of like the the rise in the injuries mainly from this season? Again, I think it's down to the pressures, the internal pressures of the club, the internal pressures of the of the manager. Um, you know, we've all been on our side of things as an SNC or a physio is reporting back to the manager and giving him news he doesn't want to hear. Um, you know, ask constant questions of when this when is this player back, etc. I would say that's that's probably the biggest thing. It's just the pressures of the internal like organisations within the club is, and it's probably just a case of ticking boxes for the rehab to not rush them through, but just getting them back into training. I feel like that's probably the biggest thing at a club at the minute is, as S and C and physios, it's probably a big game for us. Is if you're at a club, sorry, is just to get them back into training, and I feel like once you've done that, you've almost ticked the box for the manager you know, the, the back and training, the available for selection. And then it's a case of seeing if they sink or swim, seeing if they survive or, or seeing if they have any reoccurrences and back to square one. Um, and if, again, we talked about the volume of games and et cetera this year. It's probably, probably unheard of for most players, especially lower down the leagues who are playing two games a week. Um, again, the lack of training or going two, three months without training and then thrown back into training and then playing games a week later. It's just, it's just a recipe for disaster, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a bit of both, I would say. So, yeah, the, the COVID schedule has absolutely killed everyone alongside, obviously, the internal pressures of the manager um, and just maybe just rushing players back um, and just getting them back to that point of being able to train and, and feeling like you've almost done your job. Um, and I, I think that's one thing that we, we try and educate players on is, you know, is... As players, they know their bodies better than anyone. They know their bodies better than any SNC or physio will ever say. Um, if they're not comfortable in that situation, then I feel like they have some responsibility to then feed that back to the SNC or physio. Um, 
again, it all comes down to internal pressures. They don't want to. They don't want to be sitting on the sidelines. They don't want to be working with the SNC or physio on a one-to-one basis. They want to be back into team training. Um, yeah. I think it all just comes back to the internal pressures of wanting to play and and being involved in game days. Um, and I say that's that's probably one of the biggest things is throughout the rehab process. Are we actually conditioning players to return to training, or are we just ticking boxes so they can return to train? And I think it's yeah. two completely separate things. And I think it's our job to make sure they're conditioned to be able to go back and play and uh, play train um, and sorry train and play games. Um, and again, we've I think I've I've been in that situation myself where you know you're you're trying to get a player back fit and, and to train available games. You probably don't expose them into enough volume in, in in certain areas because again you're, you're you're under pressure from the gaffer to to get them back training. We have now added two webinars to our online community to go with the number of different webinars and videos on our video library. So Carlos Balsalobre has done a brilliant webinar on mobile technology to monitor neuromuscular performance. Um, It's basically based around all the apps that he's created, including MyJump and a number of others. So you can go and check that out on Community Now if you're already a member. And then also the webinar that we did in association with Physique Management with Evie Casagrande, sports scientist in the FAWSL. Um, She spoke about her journey into professional football. So loads of takeaways in that one from Evie, as always, when she speaks. Both of those webinars are now available on the community. If you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, Sign up there, go through the full process of signing up and it'll give you one month free on the community. After that, it is only £4.99 per month. And this is the first time I'm going to speak about this on on the podcast and actually on any of the social media or, or, or to anyone. But we have just started a process of going through a big upgrade on the community as well. And I've just seen the first few screenshots of what the community is going to look like. And I've got to say, I'm really, really pleased with how it's going to look. It looks absolutely amazing. I'm really pleased with the content on the community at the moment, but I've said to the members before that I want to try and make it a little bit more um, easier to use and a little bit more appealing to the eye. And this upgrade is going to do that. So come and join us on the community because we've got some big stuff coming Um, over the next few months, including this upgrade. I'm really excited for it. So if you're not already a member, Go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there, get your free month and see what it's all about. Here's part two of the podcast with Alan Jordan. Yeah, because that, that's bit, they're big conversations to have, aren't they? And I remember way back in a good few episodes ago now, we went into Ben Watson's rehab um, at Wigan and Rich Evans was talking about this and he was basically saying that with a session, Ben went out, he went out onto the pitch and Rich just wasn't happy with the way he was moving. Obviously, for a lot of people, he's back on the training pitch, that sort of job done, but Rich wasn't happy. So he stepped in at that point, dragged him back and then sort of yeah. regressed things to progress. Well, that's yeah. that's a big uh, discussion. It comes down yeah. to relationships, doesn't it? How strong the relationships yeah. are between that. Like, there's, a, there's a lot of factors that go into that. It's not as easy as probably it sounds. But yeah. from you, I, want, I was only to ask for you as a practitioner, being sort of impartial now um, from clubs and just focusing on the player, how do you think that's that's maybe changed or affected your delivery of the work that you do? 
again, it's a very unique role and environment to work in because, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why we get a lot of referrals from clubs is because they just want to get them out of sight of the manager for a few weeks and just go and do your rehab with no pressure whatsoever. So go and do your rehab, work to the best of your ability with the manager not down your ear every day when you're back training. Yeah. You know, how do you feel today? Can you train tomorrow? All that sort of stuff. In our environment, the again, they're working with other injured players. So it's a nice environment to work within. Um, I think from my point of view, how it's changed is probably you see the person first and the player second. Yeah. Instead, we see them as a blank canvas. We get Obviously, we get a lot of information from clubs prior to the visits. So we have a, a history of the injuries, a timeline of where they're at in terms of the rehab, obviously exercises, what they've been doing. Um, how they present on a Monday to us is, you know, as, as a blank canvas. And it's we've got no prejudgments on on how they are as a person, how they are as a player. Um, so you're basically programming from scratch for every single person. So you're almost treating everyone the same. You've got no pre-misconceptions about anyone, about how lazy they may be in the gym or, um, you know, how much of a moaner they may be or, or all that sort of stuff. There's no politics involved. Um, as I say, we're just able to program from a blank canvas, which is, which is nice, to be honest. Um, it can work both ways, obviously, because it's also nice to know the player, know what makes them tick, etc. cetera. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things for us is... is um, being able to program with without any pre-misconceptions around the player and, and what they're about. But then again, I suppose you don't see like the longer term um, progression of that player as well, do you? Because you work for him for the short amount of time. Obviously, if, the, if the, it's a long injury and you do get him back at certain points, you might see a little insight of it, but then you're not seeing like a back playing, getting getting back out yeah. onto the pitch and performing, I suppose, as well, isn't it? So th- how do you feel about that in, in the role? Yeah, again, that's probably one of the, the only negatives of the role is you don't see that progression of a player unless we do get a player who comes in privately and works with us for a numerous amount of time. Um, other than that, then yet yeah, you're right, um, we don't see much of their progression beyond what they do with us um, unless they come back um, further down the line. Um, obviously, we get a lot of ACLs who come in at three time points, so we normally get them in around three, four months, then around seven and nine. So for us to see them and see how they're progressing between every every visit, nice. Um, but yeah, you're right. Especially that's that's probably one of the negatives is not being able to see how they progress beyond the stay with us. Um, you always get that you get that one player sometimes who you feel if if you'd had another week or two with, you would see real benefits and you'd you'd get a lot out of them. Um, so yeah, it's a bittersweet almost. Yeah, definitely. And then if you, if you think about that, the, the back end, sort of the end stage rehab, because we, we spoke about like players re, getting re-injured by going out, maybe being rushed through them, them last few stages, going out, playing great. The manager's happy, they're back on the pitch, but then they get injured again. Like, what do you think are some issues around that time? Like, what are some things that you've reflected on maybe and some people that you've worked with? I've obviously not mentioned any names, but... Um, looking at that sort of end stage rehab and thinking, oh, we could have done this better or, or they could have done this better? Yeah, I've, I think I've already touched upon it. I think it's just not enough spo- exposure to certain things around that end stage. Um, so I feel like most people do the early and mid stage really well. So, you know, the coverall bases of having the player pain free, full range of movements, getting the strength markers back, etc. But then I think it's that mid to end stage that's 
there's a missing link in there somewhere. Um, and for me, it comes down to not exposing some of the, well, exposing players to some of the demands of their position. Not the game, but their position. Um, I think you should use the game as an endpoint and work backwards. So, again, you mentioned in terms of when players come into us, yes, they're a blank canvas, but we know what position they play in, we know the age, etc. So you can almost work backwards from there and say, OK, what, what are the demands of that player when they get to me at, at the end stage um, phase of rehab? Um, and then, we'll, as I say, we'll always use that end stage as, as an endpoint. This is where they need to be. This is what they need to be able to tolerate. How can we design drills or sessions in that end stage to prepare them for that? Um, and everyone always talks about the worst case scenario, and I'm I'm big believer in that. I think if we can if we can expose players to that worst case scenario within a game, you're you're preparing them for that for the demands of the position and, and being able to play a game, not train. So I think when people talk about return to train, and yes, you want them to return to train, but you want to also return them to perform. Yeah. So it comes back it comes back to that tick box versus being able to condition them. You want to condition them to be able to perform. Um, that's not just, as I say, getting them back into training should not be enough. You should be able to condition them effectively to be able to tolerate the demands of training and playing games at the highest level. Um, so, yeah, definitely for me, a big missing, missing piece is that position-specific conditioning um, and how can we design drills around that to expose the player to some of the worst-case scenarios found within a game. Um, and then secondly, one of the other aspects is probably just not enough volume within certain areas of, that, of, of the rehab. So, for example, if it's a hamstring injury, if they hit the max velocity once, is that enough to return them to train or to perform, as we've mentioned? Probably not. Mm. You know, I say you, you'll refer back to the GPS and be happy that they've hit their max once. But then is that enough? Because in a game, they'll be exposed to that two or three times. So they might be able to do it once, but then ask them to do it two or three and they could break down. Again, it's all hypothetical, but as I say, I think you want to prepare them for those worst case demands of the game. And if yeah. you can do that and they, they come through with fine, then I feel like then you can tick that box and be like, yeah, okay, they're ready to return to perform. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's a lot of factors that go into it. And, and like we say, we could still go through that and still come out with a, an injury at the other yeah. side, couldn't we? It's yeah. not saying that that is the, the answer, but I think it's really interesting to draw upon your experiences on these are some of the reflections that, that clubs or players or practitioners could do better. Um, yeah. And just think about as well, maybe open up some discussions about too. So yeah. uh, the other thing we were going to touch on is... In, so this ties in a little bit with the, the player-specific or sorry, position-specific um, conditioning work is, is multi-play movements. And I think it's interesting. And I know you put some really good stuff out on your social media as well about in the gym, um, testing players in multi-play movements. And I know a lot of practitioners are probably thinking, listening to this, yeah, well, we do that. Yeah. But there's ways of doing it, isn't there? And there's ways of being really effective with it, I think, as well. So... What, what's your sort of thoughts around that and, and how do you incorporate that into, into sessions? Will you have sessions where you, you're trying to focus more laterally or um, is it just a case of trying to get movement as many movements in, in as many different planes into a player as possible? Yeah, a bit of both. I would say that, again, this is where probably the link from the gym to the pitch is really useful. Um, 
So again, I'll just use uh, probably a little bit of a case study or an example is, you know, for example, I don't know, a groin or, a, or an MCL is, can we work them in the front or play in the gym to then prepare them for the demands of what they're doing outside? Um, again, I don't think it's enough to just do a couple of Copenhagen's and, and lateral lunges and then expect them to go outside and be able to change direction at high speeds. Um, and it, again, it always comes back to that mid to end stage part of the rehab is, you know, play physios are really good at getting them there, but then I think it's the SNC coach's role to then expose them to, you know, and overload them in certain areas to be able to better prepare them for that end stage conditioning to then return to, to training games. Um, yeah, so one one way, and again, I think I put it on, yeah, put it on my socials page is just maybe overloading the groins in in certain aspects of you know lateral lunges with kettlebells and having to decelerate and reaccelerate really quickly. Um, I think if, if we're trying to mimic the actions of what they're doing outside, yes, you're never going to be able to mimic the speeds, but I definitely think you can mimic the forces that are produced out on the pitch inside the gym. Um, and I think, again, I, I think we've all been um, like criminal of it is just working in a central plane in the gym. Um, everything's just linear based, nothing's really lateral focused or rotational focused. Um, so I definitely think there's a, a big piece of the jigsaw that's missing when it comes to most people's planning. And I'm probably, again, I'm probably a culprit sometimes is probably not at the forefront of your head to, to go and put some sorts of frontal play movements in there, some rotational movements in there. But I think, again, if we're trying to, again, it comes back to preparing them for the worst case demands. If we're trying to prepare them for that, then that needs to be included in, in your programme and within the gym to then better prepare them to go outside and, you know, be able to change direction effectively. Um, in terms of axial cells and change direction is probably the most common action within a game um, so if you're not preparing for those demands then you don't be surprised if they break down when they're asked to do them mm. and there's that fine balance I suppose as well isn't it between going reaching and trying to get far too specific and doing basically the whole program being um, all these exercises incorporating all different planes and your fundamentals isn't there yeah. Uh, if we're talking about some fundamentals that you really, you really back, you really, really believe in, you really want to load the players in, there's that fine balance between the two, isn't there? Some, finding that middle ground somewhere. Yeah, 100%. And I think that specific party program probably forms 15, 20% of it. Yeah. I think 80, 90% of it forms the basics and being really good at the basics. And as I say, being really strong within those basic movement patterns that, you know, you coach from a young age. Um, I think once you get to a certain level, then you can probably increase the amount of specificity between what you do in the gym and outside. But I don't think many players actually earn that right to be able yeah. to do that. Um, yeah, if, we, if we go back to what you said before at the start in terms of the hamstring injuries and not being strong enough, yeah, that's what we've got to bear in mind, isn't it? If players are coming in yeah. and they are weak, we're not suddenly yeah. just going to go straight into some multi-plane movement we need to be building up some strength don't we there's obviously a, a flag a flag there telling us that we need to yeah. re- create and build some strength and that's it i think yeah again as i say 95 percent of footballers only basics um i feel like there's only a small percentage of the players that you would deem what we'd class as strong yeah um from from, from our experience you know profiling six to eight players every week what we deem footballs to be strong, if you compare it to other sports, they'll be considerably weaker. Yeah. Um, and it, again, it all comes down to that conversation of how strong, strong enough. 
Yeah, and that is a really interesting uh, concept. And I think it's one that people are going to add to over the next few years as well, because things seem to shift a little bit. And year on year, there's a bit more focus on that strength and power work, but there's still that underlying sort of culture, isn't there? Um, that players don't prioritize, prioritize it may, maybe as much. And it was interesting, yeah. actually, a couple of episodes ago, talking to Connor Washington about it, who's in the game, obviously playing. And and he does, and he, and he feels the... Uh, benefits of doing it and he's happy to load he, he knows the uh, impact of, of like plyos and doing plies properly and all that sort of stuff but that's not the norm and that's what he said in it like that is not the yeah. norm he's very much probably a maybe even a five ten percent of the players out yeah. there it all comes down to culture at the end of the day I think definitely in the next 10-15 years we may sort of shift that culture but I still think there's a culture within the game that doesn't that that would rather prioritise kicking a ball than getting in a gym. Mm. Now that's not a wrong thing to say because the footballers at the end of the day. Yeah. But what's going to support them in terms of longevity and being healthy and and all that side of things is you know putting a, a bit of emphasis on the gym. I always used to say to my players is don't let don't let it take an injury for you to realise how important the gym is and how important the S and C side of things are. Um, you know we. We had Danny Simpson in not so long ago. We spent so he was a real good case because we spent a good few months with him and returning from his rectum injury. And he was 32, 33 now. And it took him until he's 32 to realize how important the gym is. Yeah. Because uh, it's probably his first real serious injury. Um, so it took him right up until near the end of his career to realize how important the gym is. Um, so my advice to players is don't let it take it to 32 to realise how important it is. Yeah, which is hard at the same time as well because obviously a Premier League winner been at like exactly. some really big clubs, yeah. had, a, had a successful career and still going. Yeah. Um, and it is hard to sort of change that mindset, isn't it? And yeah. we, we again, with the episode with Connor, we spoke about the more technical players and then focusing on, on more of the technical side of the game yeah. and trying to get into them the importance of it is really tough. But yeah. I agree with you. Like you don't, you don't want it to be. You don't want to suddenly hit an injury and be like, "Oh, I should have been working on this all along." Yeah, the stuff you do away from the away from the pitch is there to keep you on the pitch, isn't it? It's there to exactly. keep you performing. Yeah, and I think again, a primary focus of S and C is to improve performance. I think a byproduct of that is keeping them healthy. Yeah. Um, so even when we're rehabbing players, and again, we're, we're looking to improve the performance, and by improving that performance, a byproduct is, as I say, keeping them healthy and getting them stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. No, that's class. Right. Let's move on to some of the quick fire questions we ask on the end, mate. So just to start with, um, this is probably the hardest one because people have struggled to nail it down, but some of the biggest influences on your career so far. So it might be people you've worked with, but then it might not. It might yeah. be people that you've just followed their research or work or whatever. It's a difficult one for me because, again, working in women's football for nearly seven, seven, eight years, I've worked on my own. Yeah. So apart from the initial six to eight month period where they flower was like a mentor, um, from then onwards, I was the only SNC coach throughout the whole first team and academy. Um, so I didn't really have a mentor. Um, so Dave was really good in those initial eight months. I learned a lot from him, um, opened my eyes to a lot of things within the SNC world. Um, when I moved over to Liverpool, uh, Conor Mertog, who's now with uh, Liverpool's first team, he was working with the under-18s. So um, I used to regularly go into the academy on my days off just to 
assist and shadow Connor, uh, Connell, sorry, um, and definitely picked up a lot from him um, and a lot of things that I still carry to this day um, within like team sports, especially and how we prepare players for match days. So that was really good. And then I probably got to give shout out to, to Adam Burton, who's probably the most recent um, practitioner I've worked with. Um, Adam's, again, got a wealth of experience and really good at what he did. Um, and continues to do so. Um, so, yeah, definitely those three, I would say, I've definitely took something away from each of those um, to form to form also like your, your own philosophy and, and your beliefs, et cetera, to, the, to where I am today. Yeah, awesome. And then next one, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um, I would say my ability to communicate with players from all ages and different backgrounds. I'd say, I think... I actually listened to a podcast the other day. It wasn't one of yours. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to listen to other podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. I think it was one of the high performance ones from Jay Humphrey. Um, yeah, nice. And a guy that mentioned he worked in female sports and how it developed the soft skills. And it's probably something that you probably wouldn't develop as much from working in male football. Yeah. I certainly think from my point of view, I can certainly agree and, 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 and like, relate to that is I, I think working in women's football has definitely developed me soft skills and ability to communicate effectively. Um, and again, working with players for such a short amount of time, one of the biggest concepts for us is, is trying to create that buy-in as soon as possible. And I think if you can find some common ground with the player, I think that that's all, all the better for you and, and for the player and, and making them feel comfortable within that environment. So yeah, definitely communication skills and being able to relate to to a lot of people on different levels, I would say is a big strong point of mine. Brilliant. And the next one around CPD. So is there anything that you've done recently or um, sort of stands out that you'd recommend to coaches, webinars, podcasts, like you just said, um, research, yeah. anything that you would you direct people towards? Um, I recently joined the Rehab and Sport website, I think it's Aiden Oakley. Um, yeah. That's really useful. I find that useful too. It's got a lot of presentations and case studies on there from, from various practitioners around the world. So I find that really useful. And it's quite accessible as well. So you're able to just go on there and watch a video whenever you want. You know, for me, like from Monday to Friday, I struggle to find any time to sit down and and um and watch a webinar for an hour or two or, or stuff like that. So that was that's one. And then yeah, say the high performance podcast from I think it's really good it's just got again people from different backgrounds that we can take a lot from within our within our roles as SNCs or physios um I think there's a lot of takeaways that I take away from that um and then yeah just other podcasts that fill me fill me driving to work so driving an hour and a half into work needs to be filled somehow so (laughs) so. yeah definitely (laughs) listen to myself though don't worry <laughs> um, and then next one. Well, next last two really with the with two different types of people. So, what would you say is the most some of the most important traits for a coach to have that's then going to be successful with a player? But also, yeah. and this is again interesting with you working with players on a small small group or one on one basis. What would you say are some of the most important traits for a player to have that you can have a really good impact with? Yeah. Um, yeah. From from a an SNC perspective, probably honesty and communication skills, probably the two biggest ones. Yeah. I think there's, again, just looking at the role uh, at GCP is on a Monday morning, just being completely honest with the player in terms of where they need to improve. Um, 
I think that they'll buy in a lot more by you being honest with them as well. Um, it's always it can be some difficult conversations sometimes because a player might come in and think they're way ahead of where they are. Um, and it's quite common for us to actually say, well, actually, you know, we're near ready. We have to to rein players in quite a lot. So I think honesty and communication skills is is a big one. Um, and then for a player, I'd say work ethic. I think the best players you ever work with are always the hardest working. Um, they're the ones who will get back quicker than anyone. They're the ones who will stay injury-free once they are back. I think the ones who get found out are the ones who are happy to do the least amount possible to get where they need to be. Um, and then it won't be long before they're back in the gym with the physio or S&C rehabbing either the same or different injury. So, yeah, I'd say definitely um, work ethic and, and ownership, yeah, and just taking ownership of their own bodies more than anything. Yeah, class. Mate, this is good. This is good. I really enjoyed it. Really good conversation. Yeah, no I think we, we covered loads of great stuff there. And it's, it's good to tap into your role and what you guys are doing. I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah. And hopefully highlight the fact that that's available as well. Hopefully if you coach yeah, will listen yeah, and, and know. That, that's, the, that's the biggest thing for me is, is just raising awareness of the programme. I mean, at the minute, we're fully booked for like seven weeks in advance. So yeah. it's like five players we've got we've got booked in which is a whole load of injuries um but yeah it's, again if there's any physios or SNCs who want to know more about the program I'm happy if they want to reach out um likewise if there's any players that may be able to contract and need some some assistance and a part of the PFA then again happy for them to reach out as well do you want to just mention uh, the best places to do that mate is that your socials or where's best um so Probably my work email, which is just ajordan at gcperformance.co.uk. Um, and then for any socials, probably most active social is, is Instagram, and that's just ppc underscore Alan J. Brilliant. So if anyone anyone wants more information or wants to just get started on a bit of um, communication between you, you can they can drop you a message there. Yeah, definitely. Perfect, mate. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It's, it's really good to catch up and dive into some of that. I hope that's been really interesting for people because I've took loads from that. So, um, yeah, I appreciate your time, mate, and we'll, we'll stay in touch. No problem. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, that was my first podcast, so hopefully it wasn't too bad and we don't need too many subtitles. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Listeners from the North will still be all right. Anywhere, anywhere further afield yeah. are struggling. <laughs> no, cheers, mate. We'll stay in touch. No problem. Cheers, Ben. Take care. Thank you to Alan for giving up his time. Go and give him a follow on social media. You can check him out on Twitter. He's at Alan Jordy, um, spelled J-O-R-D-Y. It was great to catch up with him and, and sort of go into the role at Game Changer. It was really interesting for me. And just earlier on in the podcast, I think it was really good when he spoke about, I, I questioned him on this sort of early stage of his career. And he was speaking about like looking for a pathway. So I think that's really good for coaches that are looking for the first opportunity. Not, not necessarily just taking anything, but trying to think longer term. And if it is a case of you taking a role and you knowing it's going to be short term, that's fine. Because I think you, you're in a bit of control on, on what you're going to do with, within that role. Um, he also spoke about using placements or even the first few roles that you land as job interviews, which I think is a really good um, approach to take 
that you've got to go out and press. And we've spoke about it before on the podcast, not necessarily going in like gung-ho and trying to um, change everything. But one thing that comes up time and time again with coaches that are working at the top of the game is, is how we act, um, how we treat treat people, how we communicate. These are all skills that you can show um, within those first few stages or that first role or first placement. He spoke about as well players knowing their body. Um, and again, it's something that was, has come across before in terms of we can learn a lot from players. Players know their body. They know, they know what they've been through. They know what's worked for them generally in their careers. So we can take a lot from them. And then the missing link. So that the end stage of rehab, making sure that players are robust enough, making sure that they've gone through the right sort of exposure. We spoke about like speed exposure, not just ticking boxes, but really question the fact that are they ready for performance? Are they ready to not only perform, but perform regularly, get back into the team and be performing maybe twice a week or whatever the, the sort of schedule's saying. So I really enjoyed this with Valen. I think there was plenty of takeaways in this one. Um, obviously, slightly different approach being a game changer and not full-time of a club, but I think it's really interesting to see the work that they, those guys are doing. So go and give both Alan and Game Changer a follow and, and follow some of the work that they're doing over there. And I just wanted to say as well, just before we wrap up, massive thank you to everyone that's reached out. I've had a, quite a few messages this week, just privately from people saying that they're enjoying the podcast Sometimes it's really hard to gauge numbers and the people that are listening. And I know not everyone can reach out or drop messages on social media all the time. But the messages that I have got, um, some people that I'm close to, some people that I've not seen or spoke to for quite a while, but just messaging saying they're enjoying it. I really appreciate that because um, obviously it takes a bit of work to get these podcasts out, but I honestly really enjoy speaking to all these different people and I, I just when we set up the podcast, I wanted it to be that you took plenty from it as well. Um, so please reach out. If you've got a, a little message or any feedback, and I always say if you've got any guest recommendations or even topic rep- recommendations that we can go into, I'm all ears because I'd love to sort of make it as effective for you as possible as the listeners. But yeah, massive thank you to everyone that's reached out. And like I said at the start of the podcast, if you've not done so already, please head over to iTunes, leave us a review and the next 10 people to leave a review, if you screenshot it, send it to mail at footballfitfed.com with the um, subject line on the email as review, I will send you over a free ebook. So huge thank you again, guys. Really appreciate it. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 135.